Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. And so we'll start with a bit of a recap. And uh, this is part four of the Understanding Your Enemy. And this, uh, today's, uh, we're going to look a little bit more at um, another strategy, but also how we can overcome him. Uh, but just a quick recap from last week. We looked at forgiveness is a command, but it's a what? Compassionate command. Sorry, I wasn't clear. Forgiveness is a compassionate command. And it sometimes feels harsh, right? And we talked about that last week, how it can feel harsh when you've been through something traumatic or something awful. And, and Jesus knows that. But he also knows, he, he also knows the devastating effects of bitterness and, and resentment and offense in your life. So he commands us, like a parent would command a child to put down poison if they were about to ingest it. He commands us to forgive because he knows what's best for us. And, and we looked at this last week, six reasons uh, uh, or six devastating effects of offense, bitterness, and resentment. If we don't forgive, the Lord doesn't forgive us. Uh, it imprisons us in the past and prevents us from moving forward. Affects our physical and mental health. Uh, root of addiction and other harmful behaviors causes our love to grow cold. That's a really big deal. And lastly, also sets us up for further deception. And we're going to hit that probably in a part number five. Although we're taking a break for a couple weeks, we have some awesome missions updates for the next two weeks. But I won't, I won't get into that now, although I'm very excited about it. All right. So that's what we've been talking about. And I just wanted to make one comment. It's very important that we remember our love for God... Right? Because especially in the West, we're very individualistic. So especially here, we like to think that my love for God is going to be shown through how much time I spend in the Word, how much time I spend in prayer, how much, how much worship music I, I listen to or sing along to. And those are all wonderful things, and they will be a part of someone's life who loves the Lord. They will be, and they'll probably even be increasing. Um, but the, the best way to actually demonstrate our love for the Lord is actually in how we treat others that are created in His image. And that's what the Apostle John was getting at in 1 John. We don't have time to get into that, but first, the end of 1 John 4, beginning of 1 John 5, he says it in a reverse order, but he basically says, if you think you love God, if you claim to love God, but you hate your brother, uh, John says it's not me, he says you're a liar. Our, our love for God is always going to be shown in how we treat those who are created in his image. That's very important. All right. So today we're going to look at one more strategy the enemy uses. We've been, we used that idea uh, two weeks ago of, of soil, right? And we're going to look at another kind of soil and what he does with that soil in just a moment. Uh, but I just wanted to quickly just do a, a recap on our mission, why we're doing this all. Our mission, the focus. So I know we're talking about understanding our enemy and what the enemy wants to do in our lives. But our mission is actually simple, right? To know Jesus and make him known to others. That's simplifying love God, love people, make, be discipled, make disciples. Right? So really, what are we doing with that? We're just, we're trying to know God more. That is an end in and of itself. And then from that place, we're trying to go out and make him known to others. And there's lots of ways that we do that. Uh, but we love God, we love people. But that's the center there. We're, we're being discipled, making disciples. And those are some of the things that we disciple people in. And you'll see it's ministering to the local church and to the region. That would be things like the food and clothing drive. We're ministering to the needs. Right? Um, so those are practical things that we can do. So that is the mission. Now, I think most Christians love the idea of this mission. In fact, I might even say everyone in here loves the idea of the mission. Right? To know God, to make him known to others. This sounds good. Love God, love people, be disciples, make disciples. Like, that sounds exciting. It sounds good. It sounds right. It feels right for those that are called by, by his name. And it feels right because you were made to do it. 
But then when it comes down to the practical application, it seems often there's something that misfires. Right? When it actually comes down to engaging in that mission, we either, I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like we either think, you know, we love the idea of it, we want to be in a church, maybe even or a body of believers where other people are doing it, but we just don't feel like it's something that we can do. Now, there could be lots of reasons for that. There could be lots of reasons for that. And I, I'm going to venture to say, because sometimes we can think, well, it's because people are rebellious. That's going to be one reason, certainly. Certainly, but I actually think that's not the primary reason. I think there's other reasons. I think there's, there's reasons like we don't know how to, how to do it. I think not knowing how traps a lot of believers so they just feel paralyzed and can't move forward. Uh, but we're going to look at another reason that many of us, I think, don't want to engage or aren't able to engage. And it's not theological in nature either. It comes down to another strategy of the enemy. So, strategy number two, because strategy number one was bitterness, offense, and resentment. If you're wondering, I missed one. I didn't. It was <laughs> the last two weeks uh, we talked about that. Now we're going to look at another strategy. Steal our focus and attention. He wants your focus and attention. He's fighting for it. You know, we started the year off, the ministry year. Sorry, when I talk about starting the year, I'm always kind of lining it up with the school year. So students and people in, in the church, we start our year in September. That's kind of how it goes, and it goes, it goes through another cycle. So at the beginning of this ministry year, September, we started by doing what? We were saying yes to the Lord. We were going to give him a blank check, yes. And I think many of you committed to that. I've heard so many stories of you guys responding and saying, I just want to give my yes and what that looks like. And I love that. I love being a part of a church where we're all committing to each other to say yes to the Lord and yes to serving his uh, kingdom and serving each other. I think that's great. But then as you start to step out and you start looking at, okay, now let's take a practical step towards fulfilling this mission, you realize I don't have margin in my life. There's no margin. There's no time. And why is that? Because our, our focus is off. You know, we often don't think of, like when we think of uh, resources that God has given us, we often think of time and money. Those are the two most common ones that we think of, right? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? And if you look at those, you know, often when people ask me, how can I grow spiritually? Or what could I do as a step to help me grow? I often challenge people, if you want to see the condition of your heart, look at how you spend your time and money. If you want to see what you're really living for, time and money are great ways, just looking at your own life, time and money are a great way to find out what you're actually living for and what's important. They, they really are. But there's a third one. So I'm not trying to talk about importance or I'm not trying to talk about any of that. There's a third category to look at, and that is our focus and attention. You know, you can only focus on one thing at a time. You might say, yeah, but what if you're a multitasker? It's not actually a thing. The only way that multitasking works, and I've done a lot of research on that, they basically say multitaskers do everything not as well. Uh, you're just not focusing your attention. It actually takes time. They, they figure about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, to change your focus. And I could get, we could talk a whole message on, on how you should structure your day to, get, to be more productive and avoid things like your phone dinging all the time, which totally distracts you and takes your focus. But that's not what we're going to get into for now. We're just going to look at you can only focus on one thing at a time. Now, there is an exception to this, but it's not really an exception. You can do two things at a time when you're doing something that comes automatic, like riding a bicycle. When you first learn to ride a bicycle, it requires all your focus and effort and attention. That's how you build skills. Anything you're good at, whether it's bad or good, 
Anything you do well, you do well because you've given it focused thought and attention. That's why you're able to do it well. And you've given so much focused thought and attention that eventually it goes from in your focused part of the brain, that conscious part, to your subconscious. Now you can do it without thinking. So that's what happens with bicycle riding. Suddenly, one day, and it's different for everyone, but one day you're riding and it takes all your work not to fall, and suddenly you're just riding a bicycle. And you're doing it at that point, then you can start texting and driving a bicycle. You can talk. You can do all sorts of things. You can be totally distracted and dangerous, but you can do it. But now you're only focusing on one thing. So your conscious mind is what I'm talking about. Can only focus on one thing at a time, right? So what you focus on over time reveals what is most important to you and what is driving you. What is driving you? Now, I'm not saying from time to time. Throughout a day, and I wish they would do a study on that. I would love, I haven't read it yet. Uh, how many different things do we focus on throughout the day? Oh, I would wonder what that number would be. I, I imagine many of us are very distracted throughout our days. Unless I'm the only one in here. That, oh, I got one nod. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, brother. Yeah, maybe it's just certain personalities, but I'm very distracted throughout my days. It takes forever. That's like my number one thing that I'm asking for prayer for is focus and attention to keep it on one thing. Anyways, so what we focus our attention on, can, we can only focus on one thing. It reveals what's important to us and reveals what drives us, including if it's fear that drives you could be anxiety. That's a focus problem. You're fixated on something negative. You're fixated on an on a unpredictable or unknown future, right? So according to Jay Walker Smith from, oh, I should have practiced saying this beforehand, Yanklovich. Oh, I think I said it right. Yanklovich Consumer Research. <laughs> sorry. Could you see the visible being pleased with myself? <laughs> sorry, I, sorry online. Sometimes I have a hard time hiding my, <clears throat> what I'm thinking. Um, we've gone from being exposed to about 500 ads per day in the 1970s to about 5,000 per day now. Now, I looked into it because I'm like, 5,000? Come on, that's ridiculous. Like, there's no way uh, we're being exposed to that many. And so they broke down, and I'm not going to do it for sake of time. You can go and look at it yourself. It's a CBS uh, news article that I looked up, and the link will be in the, the web notes. But uh, anyways, you can research it. They show all the different places that you see ads. And they're everywhere. Uh, now, they figure you you're only consciously aware of about 100 of them. And so the research I was looking at was actually not talking about that being a negative thing. They were talking about how you can garner that to your benefit, to use your ads more effectively, to grab people's attention and their focus. Why? Because, and by the way, I'll just be clear, marketing's not bad. Ads are not bad. So if you're thinking, oh, I just put up a new ad somewhere and I feel guilty, that is not what I'm getting at. We do ads. We'll do ads. We'll advertise. Why? Because advertising, we want to show you what? What's important, what you should value, what you should spend your time and money on. What we think is important. We think the kingdom of heaven is important. So I want to, I want to, you know, mark, use, if I have marketing, but I want to use everything I have to point you towards that. So we all have different things, and that's, that's not the point. But the point is, we have many different things that are vying for our focus and attention. And the articles I read, like I said, they're not talking about this being a bad thing. They were talking about leveraging this for your business. Leverage it. Show people what's important. And I'm, again, not saying that's bad. I'm just saying there are lots of things vying for your attention and for your focus. Right? Uh, Ray Osborne in Here's Mud in Your Eye. Right? this. I'm going to read this to you. So bear with me. I'm going to read a longer chunk here. And he has passed, uh, since passed away, but he's writing something, and, and this is, by the way, this is uh, fiction. 
but, uh, but he's just writing kind of from the enemy's uh, standpoint, and it kind of lines up with the screw tape letters. This is what he writes. All too often, we miss what God is doing because we're either too busy doing something else or we have a better idea of what God would do. Here's a story reminiscent of the screw tape letters. And so now this is fiction, <laughs> not an actual conference that Satan has called. So Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said this, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship experience in Christ. If they gain that connection with Christ, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church, let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so they can't, experience, uh, so they can't gain that experience in Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? shouted one of the angels. And Satan replied, keep them busy in the non-essentials of life. Invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade them to work for long hours, to work six to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford their lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children as their family fragments. Soon their home will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so they cannot hear that still small voice. Entice them to play the radio or cassette player whenever they drive. <laughs> Tells you when it was written, right? <laughs> radio or cassette player. Some of you are like, cassette? What's that? <laughs> it's like an E-track, kids. Anyways, um, Keep the TV, this is another one, keep the TV, VCR, and their PCs going constantly in their homes. Blu-ray or streaming devices is for the young people here. Uh, <laughs> I'm just bugging. I, I think I identify as young too. Um, I still am, I'm 39, that's not that old. Anyways, uh, back on here. This will jam their minds, okay, and see to it that every store, restaurant in the world plays non-biblical music consistently. This will jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Are you hearing this? It's just, I mean, I know it's fiction, but think about it. Does this not actually sound like a brilliant strategy? Think about what John 15 says about those who abide in the vine. It will bear much fruit. Apart from him, he can do nothing. And we'll continue. Fill the coffee table with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving minds with billboards. Flood their mailboxes with junk mail, sweepstakes, mail order catalogs, and every kind of newsletter and promotional offering free products, services, and false hopes. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted, disquieted, unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonders. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip, small talk, so that they leave troubled con with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. Lastly, let them be. Let them be involved in soul winning. That's an interesting one in here. But crowd their lives with so many good things, good causes, that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health, health and family for the good of the cause. It was quite the convention in the end, and the evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 rush here and there. And the question he leaves at the end is, has he been successful at his scheme? You be the judge. Now, I gotta be really careful here. Have I just listed off a bunch of things in that story of things that I would say are bad? No, I haven't. 
and probably a lot of them are unavoidable and they're good things to do. They can be good things, but we're talking about being so full, so cluttered, so distracted that we don't have time to focus on the things that really matter. That we don't have time to focus on the things that would truly change our hearts, that would give us the strength we need to do the things that God is asking us to do. That's what I'm talking about. And this sounds actually very familiar. You can get this in a biblical story as well. Mary and Martha, famous story, Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed, uh, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now the question is, and I know, I mean, this has been preached on many times, but maybe this is new to you, the story is new to you too. So I'll just ask, is the problem what Mary or Martha is doing? Is the problem that she's, that she's trying to serve people, serve guests that are in the home? The answer is no. At least he, Jesus doesn't allude to there being a problem with the, the things she's doing. It's not the things she's doing that's, that he's getting at. Um, she's probably even doing things that needed to get done. But Jesus often has a different priority, and, and as followers of Christ, what matters to us isn't what we think is important. What matters to us is what he says is important. And we know in other areas in the Gospels, when they said, this could have, remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, this could have been given to the poor when they broke that expensive ointment. Could have been given to the poor, and Jesus' response, the poor you will always have among you. But he knew that he was about to go to his death. You see, what seemed right to the human mind, conventional wisdom then again, wasn't right to what Jesus was doing in that moment. And that's why it's so vital that we're connected to the vine, that we're, see, that we're meeting with Jesus on a daily basis. That we're hearing, that we have margin in our lives, that we have quiet in our lives, that we give our focus and attention to him. You know, it's interesting, it doesn't say... What came first, you know, the chicken or the egg with, with Martha? You know, was it her anxiety or the busyness? Or like, how did that really come to be? We don't really know. He doesn't say. He just says, you're distracted, you're busy, and you're anxious. But Mary has chosen the better portion. Mary had the better portion. Martha's busyness, her focus, kept her from experiencing Jesus. And that's what was most important you know, there's two ways you can look at our time with Jesus, and, and I think both are really valuable. Number one, I, I heard this quote, uh, our, our doing for Jesus should never exceed our being with Jesus. Totally. So in one sense, our being with Jesus is also a, is a fuel source for everything that we're supposed to do in life, to bear fruit. It is. But did you know it's also an end in and of itself? To know God? And by the way, that tells you a lot about the God that we serve that the reason he would make us is that we would be able to know him. He is intimate, personal, relational. And all life stems from him. And he invites us into that relationship. It's never truly a waste is life if you waste it in a pursuit of knowing God. All right. So what am I saying here? So it's very important. I'm not saying, again, that 
any of those things listed in that story or, or stuff around the house, you know, you think about stuff that has to get done or stuff at work, I have legitimate things and boxes I have to check. I am not against checking boxes and I am not against doing good things and I'm not against holidays or going to a good movie or watching a good show or going hunting. I'm going to be doing that tomorrow. I'm going to sit in the bush with no phone. Opening season, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be quiet, just me and the Lord. I got to not go there now. I'll go there tomorrow. <laughs> okay, those things are all good. I mean, they can be good. But we're talking about where is our primary focus and attention, and that's the, the important thing. You know, you think about budgeting. You know, uh, Scotiabank always has that tagline, good marketing. You're richer than you think, right? You're richer than you think. Well, I love that because it's true. You know, any time we've ever sat down and done a budget, which we probably should do again, but uh, when we have done it, you know what you inevitably find it every time? we're richer than we think, right? But money just kind of disappears. Like when you're not being intentional with it, it just kind of like disappears. It's like there's holes in your pockets. I guess we don't keep money in our pockets anymore, but then it's like there's a drain on that digital account. It just is disappearing into nothingness. That's more what we're talking about, being intentional with our focus and our attention, being aware that it is a non-renewable resources. The, The focus and attention you were giving this morning You will never get that focus back, ever. What you do yet, what you did yesterday, what you focused on yesterday, you'll never get a chance to redo that. You can change tomorrow. You can change today, but you can't get it back. It's a non-renewable resource. So what are we using our focus and attention for? Isaiah, the Bible actually has lots to say on this, and I had to cut out lots of scriptures, but you keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Whoa, 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 whose mind is what? Help me. Stayed on you. Okay, let's read the whole verse together. That's easier. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now you guys just say it. Does anyone in here feel like they have a life that needs more peace? You ever have a hard week and you're having a hard time keeping your mind stayed on Jesus? That's what scripture says. It lines up. By the way, go look at Matthew 11. We don't have time to get in there, but Jesus promises that everyone who comes to him, he'll give rest. But you have to come to him. You'll have to seek to be, you'll have to seek the way of Mary, right? Romans also says this. Look at this. I like this one. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds See, you set their minds. It's the focus and attention. We set our minds, our thoughts. Right? They're setting it on the flesh. Right? And the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds, again, the minds, on the things of the Spirit. And that's how we begin bearing fruit one way or the other. Right? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. That's what scripture teaches. And there's lots. We could have gone into Colossians more in the Old Testament. What we focus on is very important. In fact, it's very much linked to other words that we are very familiar with, and that's devotion, adoration. Right? The, the focal point, our, the devotion of our heart is often seen with our focus and our, ten- and our attention. What are we devoted to? All right. 
this is kind of how it goes. We lose track of focus. So this would be kind of, um, if we look at that whole idea of, of soil and seed again, uh, what the enemy's trying to do. So he wants your focus and attention. And what he's going to try to do, and if he, that's soil that he's trying to get, and what he's going to try to plant in there to get you is busyness. Busyness with no margin. And I'm not talking about a season or things that just come up and you'll, you'll go through things in life where, where you, you can't control it. We're not talking about that. But even when we are talking about that, like if we truly believe John 15, like if we actually, if we just think, no, I actually believe this Bible. I believe what it says to be the words of life and to be true. I'm not going to go with anything else. If we thought that and life came up with circumstances that were outside of your control, Maybe we'd respond more like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and stay awake and pray. Maybe there would be more important things than sleep or eating. I don't know. And I'm challenging myself on that too. We're all growing in this. But the enemy will try to give you every reason why your, your to-do list, your task list, is more important than sitting down and wasting time in the Word and prayer. And if we're too busy for that, we'll have no energy, we'll have no life in us to do the things that God is asking us to do. Which leads, and it's like a compounding, that's all of his lies. Remember we looked at that with bitterness? How it compounds? It starts with someone hurting you, it starts like you're a victim, and now by choosing to hold on to it, that's sin, and that sin compounds in your life, and soon, before you know it, it's affecting you emotionally and spiritually and even physically. Killing you in every area. This is the same way the same way. We get, we get distracted. We get overwhelmed. It, suddenly we're focusing on the urgent rather than the important. Overwhelm, anxiety equals busyness and, or paralysis. You know the difference, right? Sometimes we're so busy just going and doing, doing, doing. But the other response to anxiety is actually to be paralyzed and just to see the list of everything you should be doing. But you're stuck and you can't do it. And it just grows over time and it gets worse and worse and worse. And it gets harder and harder and harder to actually stop now to get into the word and prayer. And when you do try, then you're so distracted you can't even get anything out of it. I mean, you think about focus and attention. You know, actually, you're, oh, we don't have time to get into this whole thing because we could talk probably two services just on this alone. But uh, when you go down to sleep, you know that your brain requires quiet in the day in order to process the events from the day? Just to process. Your brain likes to process everything, catalog it, put, get the narrative right. You know that many people don't have any quiet throughout their day until they lay their heads down at, at night. And then they wonder why they can't sleep because you lay there and, <laughs> guilty, been here. I know exactly what this is like on a regular basis. I'm working on it, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to be intentional to work on it, but you lay your he head down, that's the first time it's actually been quiet, and now your mind's racing. I have talked to so many people that the only way they can get to sleep is by now turning on media. Because the brain's natural process to process the things of the day is so overwhelmed because you don't ever stop that the only way to get to sleep is by turning on your phone, thereby perpetuating the cycle and compounding it, and it just continues to get worse. Something's got to change, right? Here's another thought. You know that even the mission of Christ can be a distraction if that becomes the goal? Whoa, the mission of Christ can be a distraction? Yeah, amen, it can. It can totally be a distraction. What's the goal? 
Christ has to be the goal. Knowing him, making him known to others comes from that. But I, I like these two. Uh, there was many other quotes that I actually could have used. I had them written down from earlier in the week from uh, one of the classes I was in. But anyhow, I love this one by Oswald Chambers. The greatest competitor to devotion for Jesus is service for Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I read that and a chill went down my spine and I thought, I have experienced that. I had to make big changes in my life to flip that around. To get to a spot where, where my time with the Lord in the morning is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. I don't give it to anyone. I won't give it to anyone. I can't. I die without it. Life's hard enough with it, <laughs> let alone without but anyways, look at Francis Chan's quote. I like this one too. God is more concerned with the condition of your hearts than the busyness of your hands. That to-do list, like Chan's just really talking about what he's observing in that Luke story of Mary and Martha. I mean, he could have said that as an observation. He could have said that to Martha. Martha, God's more concerned with your heart than the busyness of your hands. Yeah, I know what you have to do is important. It is. I'm not taking away from that. But apart from Jesus, you can do what? Nothing. Thank you. Nothing. So, we'll go back to here. We're going to talk, uh, focusing on, oops, I missed that. <laughs> I didn't uh, highlight it in my notes. B, focus on. So what are we going to focus on? You've got to be intentional with this. Remembering Jesus. Keep the first thing first. Remember Jesus. Isn't that a funny way of putting it? Remember Jesus. I was listening to, to one of my teachers earlier in the week, and he said he, he thought it was a good idea to take a piece of wood and get someone to put, you know, in fancy lettering so it's nice, remember Jesus, and put it on the, on the top of your door. And every time you leave, you could just touch it and remember. As you leave your house, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. That's your focus, right? You say, well, yeah, but he's with me anyhow. Yeah, but if you're not focused on him, you won't be getting anything from that. But you are right. He is with you. Be content with what you have. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us. But are we focused on him? Are we connected to him? So we remember him. This is, by the way, why the discipleship target is set up this way. It's called a target. And a target, you, maybe some of you don't know this. And the target you aim for where? <laughs> I heard a whole bunch of different things. The middle. I guess in darts, you sometimes aim for other things. I actually don't know. There's probably a, some example where you aim for the sides. But in this case, this target, you're aiming for bullseye. Bullseye. And every time you get distracted from there, and how do you know if you're getting distracted? You know what's a great sign? Burnout. You're struggling with burnout? I would venture to say you're doing more than Jesus is asking you to do. Or you're not carrying the load the way he's asking you to, which brings you back to the first thing I just said. You're doing more than he's asking you to. You say, but if I put things down, that'll make my life even busier. Test him on that. See if his word is true. Test him on it. But that's why it's in the center. We go back there because as we go out and do missions, this world is full of things that will distract you. There, it is full, not just ads. Even the mission of Christ can distract you from the goal. My goal is to know Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know him more. In his presence are pleasures forevermore. We want to know him more. And as we know him more, we also want to make him known to others. 
But as soon as we get on to making them known to others because we're human beings, even in the good things, we're going to find our, our attention wanes and our focus and attention is going to go off to something else. And that's why it's a target. That's why it's in the middle. You always come back. Missions are important. Yes, the mission's important. Learning is important. Yes, family's important. Absolutely. Repenting, becoming emotionally whole, all of those things. In fact, many of the things on the outside are going to help you go back to the inside. They should have done properly. But if you're feeling burnout or stress or stuck, you go back to the middle. Unashamedly go back to the middle. And you discover the better portion like Mary did. All right. <sighs> Let's go to Timothy. Let's do Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 4-8. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Oh, that's focus. Why does the soldier not get entangled in civilian pursuits? Because the aim, the focus, is to please the one who enlisted him. That's why you don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Because I just need to do what my commander-in-chief is asking me to do. He is my commander, he is my king, he is my lord. That's what I need to do. And one of the things he tells all of us to do, guess what it is? Rest. You know failure to rest is disobedience to the one you serve? Ever thought of it that way? No, but rest is just being selfish, is it? If he tells you to? By the way, this focus, this remembering Jesus is the key for lots more than just our focus. Uh, last week we talked about like offense. Offense, I said it right. Ha <laughs> ha, kids. <laughs> Caitlin's smiling. <laughs> oh. Anyways, offense, right? So... The key to that, many times I've sat with someone helping them work through and they're like, I just can't forgive. And you know what my, my number one strategy is? Okay, I understand. What you've been through is horrific. But if Jesus sat here right now, looking at him, would you do it for him? I've never had someone say no at that point. I'm not saying that it won't happen. Some people don't want Jesus. But most of those that have come to see me have been in a spot, that's why they're coming to see me, not someone else, right? It's because they want Jesus. They don't know how to get there. And all I've done, like, it's not, like, I didn't have, you don't need training for that. You just redirect to Jesus. Together. And then we look at him together. And it's amazing. This redirect to Jesus, remembering him, is the key to overcoming many things in our life, probably everything. If we're to believe John 15. Anyways, no soldier gets entangled. So, distracted. Don't get entangled or distracted. Don't get distracted. Focus on the one who enlisted you, Jesus. Moving forward. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Okay, so the athlete that wants you running to get a crown, you're running for a prize, but you have to compete according to the rules. Who sets the rules? The one who is in charge. Meaning, how do we apply that to my life? Who sets the rules for how you live? Jesus. You're made to know him and to make him known to others. He sets the rules for your life. How am I supposed to find that? Prayer? Yeah, listening to prayer is a great spot. Get into here. There is a wealth in here. I was asking my family for prayer as I was preparing this message, and I know this is not always going to be the case, but I said it's a very funny thing. When I first started preaching more, you know what my biggest fear was? What am I going to say? Now, my wife would laugh because she's like, oh, it's getting him to stop talking, that's the problem. But uh, 
<laughs> you didn't even amen. That was very graceful of you. <laughs> Anyways, but getting up here, you have to put prep into it, all that kind of stuff. But you know what I have actually found, at least so far, over the last couple years when I've been preaching more and more? The hardest part is trying to figure out, it's like, I feel like I'm in the, the mountain. You know, have you ever watched The Hobbit? You don't have to raise your hands. And if you think that's bad, I'm sorry. But I'm sorry that I watched it. Not really, I'm sorry, whatever. <laughs> the Hobbit, I enjoy it. And uh, anyways, in the mountain, right? And they're looking for the Arkenstone and a Bilbo. No, it's not Bilbo. It is, right? Am I losing my facts here because I'm up here doing this and I didn't have it written down? Anyhow, Bilbo is looking for the Arkenstone and he goes inside and, the, and there is just like treasure everywhere. It's mountains of treasure. It's totally overwhelming because how are you supposed to find one gem in the presence of just like mountains of treasure? That's my biggest struggle when preparing a message. I go in here, how am I supposed to, like, Lord, how do I be faithful to what you're asking me to say to Southland when there is so much? Like, I pause in this verse, and my devotions are highly distracting because it always wants to change the direction I'm going in because then he starts speaking to me in a new area, and I'm like, oh, we got to teach on this. This is good. It's gold. He instructs you how you're to live according to the rules so that you can receive the crown too. And the beautiful thing is, what if I make mistakes? Are you saying that I'm saved by works? No. No, you're saved by grace. But you were created for good works. A great quote that came in our mentoring with uh, Pastor Ray this last week. But we don't obey. Oh, how did he say it? We don't, we don't obey to, to become Christians. Or no, we don't obey to gain God. We obey because we are God's. And that's basically how it went. And I love that. So anyways, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. So starting is important, but guess what's even more important? Finishing is more important. It's importanter. I just made that word up. And then we go on to this. Remember Jesus. See, it's right in Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. You're like, why does it matter that he's the offspring of David? Because this is where our hope is. You look at the Old Testament, and he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. They're looking at the Messiah. There is tons of hope to be gleaned. Get into your word. Look at all the things he fulfilled in the Old Testament. And now you start reading towards the things that are yet to be fulfilled. And you look at, you want to know the answer to the anxiety and overwhelm in your life? It's not found in checking off everything on your box because you'll just add more things. It's the hope in what's coming. It's the hope in what's coming next. And we gain a lot of confidence for that when we remember Jesus, when we get in here and we see what he's already done. It's amazing. All right, Philippians 4, because that's not the only thing. Oh, five minutes. Yeah, it's all good. We'll get to what we get through, and then the rest we'll just do another time. Philippians 4, because we have an awesome song at the end. We're not missing it this week. I'm, I'm, I regret that we missed it last week. This week we're singing Send Me. We're going to sing together, because singing is powerful. All right, Philippians 4, 49. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, I skipped a slide. Sorry about that. Really, what it was supposed to say is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, you know what we often hear? Those of us who have anxiety, and I've struggled with anxiety, although it's been a lot better lately, but I still have it. Still have it. You know what we often just hear? Do not be anxious. Heap up more shame. Do not be anxious. How many of you, by trying not to be anxious, have ever been able to fix your anxiety? I'll tell you what that does. It's almost a surefire way to make sure you don't sleep tonight. 
Yeah, you want insomnia? Just like, look at your anxiety in your life and just, I will not be anxious, I will not be anxious, I will not be anxious. You will work yourself up into such a tizzy that I bet you will not sleep tonight. Don't actually try that. Please do not try that. Okay, anyhow, that doesn't start there. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. The Lord is at hand right before. Rejoice in the Lord. Put your focus. Anxiety is focused on fearful expectation on the unknown future. That's what anxiety is. But you're, you, this is the beautiful thing. You can only focus on one thing at a time. If you train your brain, that's what the end of uh, Philippians talks about, practice these things. If you train your brain to focus on Jesus, to put your focus and attention there, you will reap the benefits in your life. Because I can't be truly focused on Jesus and be focused on the things that are, uh, that are causing me to be uh, anxious. And that's why we sing, and the things of earth grow strangely dim. That's why. Skip. No, oh, here we go. Redirect. I just skipped a few. That's okay. Redirect. So what do we redirect and focus on? Gratitude. Jesus risen from the dead. Descendant of David. Loved us to the cross. Focus on Jesus, gratitude. There's lots of other things you can be grateful for too. I'm often grateful for my cat, for hunting, for coffee. <laughs> There's lots of things. <laughs> my kids, oh, my kids are on there too, and my wife. <clears throat> and I meant to start there. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yep, <sighs> not grateful for that moment. But uh, there's lots of things to actually be sincerely grateful for. But we start with, don't start with all the little things. Well, you can if you want. But start with the very best things. Risen from the dead, firstborn, firstborn, first risen from the dead, he rose, that means you're going to rise. Whatever death you're experiencing now and the ultimate death you will experience before you see Jesus, he is going to raise you back to life. There's hope in that. Descendant of David, he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, he's going to fulfill even more in the end. Everything spoken of of the end of the age, he's going to fulfill it. And then he obviously sees this as a joy. The God of the universe saw you as the joy set before him that allowed him to endure the cross. Incredible. Okay. Uh, not on the same page anymore. That's okay. Prayer. You know what the only bad prayer is? I've said this last week and I'm going to say it again. The one you didn't pray. Any other prayer, any other prayer is leading you towards good prayer. You're thinking, oh, you don't know what I said in prayer yesterday. Any other prayer, any other cry to God is leading you towards good prayer. Start with being honest. You've got lots of things going on in your life. You're stressed. You're disappointed. Tell him that. Go to him. Connect to the vine. There's no other way. The only bad prayer is the one you didn't pray. Anything else will lead you to good prayer. And then sing. Not just listen. Sing. Sing praise. <laughs> I heard last week, apparently, my mic was on. And uh, Gyro was starting, and I was singing into his ear. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, yeah. That wasn't the intent. But what was I doing? What I tell you guys I do all the time before my, the service. I was in my office making last-minute changes, and what was I doing? Singing my heart out to the one that I love more than anything else. It's a beautiful thing. You know that singing is incredible. Singing is absolutely incredible. But think about this. It bypasses parts of your brain that, and allows you to engage in things that usually you wouldn't engage in that you might have self-protection on. What do I mean by that? Have you ever thought about this? I was singing the other day. I had put on some, I don't know, classic rock. All of a sudden came on, and I'm singing a song. Suddenly I just thought about what I was singing. I'm like, oh, I was horrified. I turned it off right away. I was singing something I never would say out loud. 
But when you're singing it, something about music, it bypasses it. It grabs your heart. It bypasses your defenses. It goes deep into us. It moves us. It draws us in. Be careful what you sing. Be careful what you listen to. And I'm not saying only Christian music, no sex. That, don't hear that. And if you want to do that, do that. But still, be careful what you listen to and be careful what you sing to. But sing. Sing. Enjoy it. About midnight, Paul and Silas, they get put in jail for doing the right thing. They free a demon-possessed girl. They free her, and then they get thrown in jail, beaten, stripped first, beaten for doing the right thing. And what are they doing at midnight? Praying and singing. <laughs> praying and singing. Want to know how to deal with anxiety? Are you praying and singing? Sing. Watch the things of earth grow strangely dim. Don't just listen. Listening is good. Sing. Sing with your voice. That's why we do it to start services, and that's why we're going to do it right away. Because I'm running out of time. And the last thing is, I'll just skip here a little bit, focus on engaging and connecting with other believers. And you might say, great, I'm here. I did that. Or I'm online. Welcome here online. I'd love to hear from you. Email me. But uh, I want to know who you are. Because I don't know who you are. I see everyone else. Hi. Anyways, but you're thinking, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm doing that. This is a great start. It's a great start to watch a service or to attend a service. It's a great start. We've been worshiping. We sing together. We pray together. We get into the word together. We corporately worship God. That is a wonderful thing. I'm talking about something beyond that. Engage and connect with other believers. I'm talking about getting into community. I'm talking about two ways. Gather church Sunday weekend services, but also the scattered church, small groups during the week. And I just want to go to the, the scripture verse, and then we're going to sing a song. Send me, because I'm very excited about that. But look what they did here in Acts. Do you know that they do both? Often we think they were just the house church movement. No, they were doing both. Look. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds. By the way, I love that. You know why I love that? Because it sounds a lot like what we have here. I hear lots of stories of that. I see you guys doing that. I love that. But let's continue on that path. And maybe you're here and you're not engaged in that yet. You're not connected to the body. We want to hear from you. We want to help you get connected. Because we need Jesus. We need to put our focus and attention on him first, yes. But then right after that, we need each other. It's the body. He's the head. We're the body. We need each other. They gave, distributed the proceeds to all who had any need and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. You see that? They did both. <laughs> Isn't that neat? They did both. Their whole life was centered around Jesus. They organized their life around that. That's what we need to do too. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. We're going to sing together because singing is a powerful way to redirect. And we're going to sing actually right in line, send me. And it's coming out of Isaiah 6 verse 8. And the Lord said, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah responded by saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And this has been my cry since I was a little boy, but this has been our cry. We started singing this the first time at the worship night. But let's sing it together as we think about our, the, great, the mission that God has given us, the great commission and the great command. Lord, we recognize that you have given us purpose and value and meaning. We recognize that we are easily distracted. Oh, Lord, we are, we are definitely jars of clay, cracked pots at the best of times. But today, Lord, we want to turn our affection and our focus and attention back onto you. We want to give you praise. We want to declare, Lord, as you are calling us into the mission field, 
You are calling us into this region. You are calling some in here to go to other regions. There's mission fields, workplaces, schools, our hospitals, our arenas, everywhere, Lord, our homes, our families, the streets, our neighborhoods. The harvest is right, like you said in Matthew 9, but the laborers are few. So today, Lord, we are praying that you would send out the laborers and we recognize that we are those laborers. So now, Lord, as we sing to you, would you fill us anew? And would you call us and send us and empower us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.